There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of How to Be Sound, where I, journalist and writer Rosemary McCabe, speak to someone that I think is probably sounder than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, I haven't introduced you yet but if you think I'm sound and you want to support what I do you can go to patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe with an A in my Mac to support the podcast and help keep it going and you'll also get a bonus three what's the word original you'll also get a bonus three original pieces of writing each and every week today's guest you've already heard rude is musician <laughs> Emma Langford who's made it all the way up from Limerick how are you now to talk to me today how are you I'm good I'm good I love how you struggled with the word original that was great. Oh yeah, because because I kept thinking of exclusive, which obviously if things are subscriber only, they are also exclusive. But I was okay. like, that's not really what I mean to be saying. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Original. Yeah. Yes. So tell me about you. You're a musician. Are you full-time musician Full-time, now? full-time at the music. I am. And how does um, that work? Are you very poor? I'm very poor a lot of the time. Yeah, I. you know what? I'll be straight up and I will say that I'm still living in the mommy and daddy's house in Limerick. Um, with your sister. With, it's not Limerick. Uh, yeah, and it, that saves a lot of money. It means I can actually work as a musician. I'd love to be in a position where I could do my job and be self-sufficient. But unfortunately, in the arts, those two things don't really go hand in hand an awful mm. lot. So I'm part of a continuous campaign to make art as a career sustainable, which is uh, great fun. Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting a lot of support from like like the local arts office and the local council. And the nice thing with growing up and being a musician in Limerick is the community is quite tight-knit and closely woven and very supportive. And you know where everyone is and who everyone is and how they might be able to help you. So I think that makes life a lot easier. I don't know what it's like in Dublin. Maybe you can let me know. I mean, I think the main issue for everyone in Dublin right now is rent, isn't it? Yeah, it's massive. Like, but I mean, even you can be working in a Fortune 500 and rent is still sure, yeah, completely bonkers. Just to touch on, what would art as a sustainable career look like? Like, what steps could be taken? I mean, is it on is it on a governmental level? Is it that we all need to start appreciating art, paying for art more? What would that look like? I don't to you? know. I think I feel like this whole thing that like people aren't willing to pay for art, all that kind of thing, is we have it in our heads that it's an Irish syndrome, and it is to a degree because, you know, I feel like eighty percent of the population here are artists, so it's very hard to coerce people into paying for art when they're mm-hmm. like, "Ash, I could just go down to the pub and sure, Paddy plays a gorgeous version of Sean South the Gary Owen, so it is grand." But uh, so asking people to buy tickets for shows is difficult. But outside of that, I think it's just training people. If someone goes into secondary school and says, "Right, I want to be a musician full time," and they say that to their career guidance teacher, and the career guidance teacher is like, "Great, so you can join like the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra, and you can teach." And they're your options, which, you know, certainly wasn't offered to me. I was told, don't do that. It's not an option at all. I just think it's it's a case of, of telling young people that it is actually a career option and training them in how to make it feasible. And, mm. you know, I think anyone in any walk of life starts out with a million side hustles and tries a few different ways of, of kind of getting through life and, and finding ways to express themselves through their work and it's just learning to be innovative in the work you wind up doing I mean I'm poor a lot of the time 
but I do enough kind of random side hustles and, you know, commercial work, corporate work while I'm still making music, you know, I'm doing backing vocals for some artists and I'm, I'm doing maybe not stuff that is necessarily in line with what I am mad about doing, but I'm still making music for a living. So, you know, just, I think encouraging young people to be a bit creative in the work they look for is probably from my perspective the main thing with making it sustainable mm. I don't know how it is and I presume in writing it's quite similar with like columns and and kind of freelancing yeah I mean I I think Ireland culturally we do definitely have a tendency to tell our young people to get a backup plan mm. and not even a backup plan, but to get a main plan and let the creative stuff be your hobby. Yes. And that also lends itself to undervaluing it. And because we think if it's your hobby, it's not something you should get paid for. Asher Emma will sing at that wedding to love singing. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so, so it all kind of feeds into each other. With writing, there's definitely a difficulty in, I suppose, in explaining to people that it's worth paying for because ostensibly it feels like anybody could do it, especially because mm. I do a lot of memoir stuff. Right. So I think like a lot of my essays are kind of personal essays. And so I think you could read them and go, oh, sure, I could write about my day. Right. Which, you know, <laughs> anybody could and we'd all have different styles. Sure, you know? yeah. So it's just a kind of a different thing. What do your, what have your side hustles looked like? What kind of thing? I know you mentioned you do just kind of corporate work. Is that like jingles or how? how yeah, I've done a jingle. I got I've got a few sponsors at home. So like you know, obviously with the with the line of work I'm in, it's very front facing and quite appearance based a lot of the time. So I've got a couple of really really generous sponsors in Limerick that look after like if I'm stuck for a pair of shoes or if I need to get my hair fixed up or something like that. There's there's people locally who will and they're you know top quality people who who look after that stuff. But outside of that, yeah, it's it's I've done a jingle for a local shoe shop. I've done weddings. I, I do kind of um corporate gigs. So that would be like let's say a big for example, Energia are having an event in Limerick and they need music for two hours in the evening to just while people are milling around having drinks. Oh, okay. Yeah, I might yeah. do that. Now the nice thing is at the risk of sounding full of shite, the nice thing is that I can kind of dictate my price on it a bit more and mm-hmm. they will put my name on the poster as a as opposed to just being there will be Random music from this singer. yeah, these people. Now it's it's more a thing of like, oh Emma Langford will be there providing entertainment and it's a value onto their ticket if someone is going to the event kind of thing. So yeah, that kind of stuff. And because I do a lot of advocacy work around Around gender, actually, and this sounds really tacky now that I kind of am saying it out loud, but because I do a lot of advocacy work around gender, I've been invited to do a lot of gigs around kind of promoting women in the arts and that kind of thing. And thankfully, in, in, a, in the nicest way possible, those are paid gigs. I don't think that sounds tacky at all. I just mean, I suppose when you're advocating for something and when you're kind of part of a campaign around something, you feel like you need to be donating your time to it. I know what you mean, but I I know that that's totally just kind of ingrained sort of guilt. (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, I like I totally know what you mean. But I think coming from a journalism background, people just forget that, you know, even charities, kind of advocacy groups, networking groups that are working for, you know, even to promote women, to promote promote minorities, Mm. they all have budgets. Yeah, true. And there is no reason that you should not be paid you know in the same way that when people give out about instagrammers doing paid ads for charities mm. i'm like well the irish times would be taking money for that one for that single page ad yeah of course so there's no reason why another person who provides a particular service how do you find corporate gigs because i know when i worked in kind of an office setting and you would go to events like that i often felt really sorry for the musicians because nobody really clapped you know what i mean that like <laughs> yeah. they'd be singing in the background people would be milling around having drinks and chatting and mm. the song would stop and you just people would just keep talking i'd be like sure oh, well like it depends on the kind of the the premise of the booking 
So like if I'm booked and it's like Emma Langford is going to play a gig for you, this is this will be 45 minutes of your night where she's going to sing some of her songs and talk to you and it'll be a performance. In those situations, if people are talking and not paying attention, it's a bit like, I really, I mean, I could be anyone playing this gig. I didn't need to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, if it's that kind of a thing, like, it doesn't bother me too much because I'm, I'm long enough in the tooth. I'm not at that long, but I feel long in the tooth to be able to deal with people just having this as their one night out in the month kind of thing and wanting to catch up with their friends mm. and have a drink. So it's grand. I play, like, I, I do a lot of background music at weddings as well, like drinks receptions, that kind of thing. It's really funny because sometimes there'll be a couple of people in the wedding party that might know me or the other person I'm playing with. And they're like, you're so good. Why are people not clapping? And there'll be the one person kind of clapping between every song, <laughs> making everyone else feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, this is two and a half hours of music. We can't clap after every single song. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, no, it's it's grand. It's, you know, if people want to express their appreciation after a particularly good song, grand, cool, throw us a tip. It's all good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it doesn't bother me too much anymore. It probably would have a couple of years ago. But I've gotten to a stage now where I'm just doing my thing in the background, having the crack, probably talking shite away from the microphone anyway, so it's fine. And how long have you been doing this? I've only really been doing it professionally for about... I I keep kind of losing track because the way I'm going to put it is I've been taking myself seriously for about four years. I've been singing all my life. I've been playing guitar since I was in secondary school, but only started taking the guitar seriously in college and only started taking myself as a songwriter and a kind of a performer seriously since I left college. So yeah, about four years ago, I released my first EP. So for anyone listening that isn't into music or doesn't do music, an EP is just a little kind of a sample, four track, six track CD that showcases. It's like a business card for when you're starting out. So I released that, I crowdfunded it, a very kind of a simple, low budget EP um, four years ago, and then got booked for this crazy tour in 2017 and signed the contract and then was told I needed to produce an album in the next five months. For anyone who's ever produced a body of work, it's that's a, an album is 10 tracks minimum and you're looking at creating artwork. You have to have all of your ducks in a row in terms of getting it printed, having your templates for printing sorted out, deciding what your design is going to be. Is it going to be a simple card fold or is it going to be one of those CDs you open out like a book or, or what's it going to be? And getting the band lined up and finding the right producers and all that kind of stuff takes insane amounts of time and quite a big budget as well so um yeah that that happened that was a baptism of fire in 2017 and then it kind of just snowballed from there it was a moment where I was kind of forced to kind of shit or get off the pot a little bit with my career it was like you you have five months to produce this album when you finish this album you're taking it on tour in Germany for a month with a bunch of people you've never met before and you're going to be playing to 900 people a night for 21 dates over the course of a month is this what you want to do and you find out pretty quickly (laughs) you have to kind of decide in that moment is that what you want to do so I had to just take that leap a month in Germany Feels yeah. like a lot of time in Germany. It was a lot of time in Germany, yeah. And it was it was educational. It was really interesting because the, the audiences going to this particular tour were that little bit older and a bit wealthier. So it was the Irish Folk Festival tour. And it's kind of like, I don't know if we have an equivalent in Ireland, but it's, it's almost kind of like a river dance tour, sort of. You know, you're bringing 16 artists around the country for a month and they're playing in these huge venues every night and people are willing to pay 
crazy money for tickets and then they'll buy a copy of every single artist's CD afterwards as well. And they'll pay 16 euro for a CD over there as opposed to 10 euro here. Granted, we were under the mantle of a big promoter, so they were taking a a good cut Mm -hmm. out of all of the ticket sales and everything. But still, it was, I mean, a month in Germany, you could do it once a year and do the same venues and make a living out of it. That's what I was just going to say. Could you live off it? You could. You easily could. Yeah. It's really interesting seeing Irish artists all heading over to Germany and Austria and Belgium because that's where you make your living and then you can come home to Ireland if you want to. And the circuit here is gorgeous and it's really like supportive and and very diverse and very warm. But to try and make a living here is, is very difficult comparatively. What was it like touring for a month with the same 16 people? Or I mean, I presume it was more than 16 people if you're talking bands and... Yeah, well, there was um, there was a troupe of dancers. Um, there was five-piece band from Belfast, a trio from West Clare and then myself. And then we had our roadies and our tech team and our merch guy and our manager, all that kind of stuff. It was, oh, it was really good fun. I was only at the start of my career and it was eye-opening. There was a lot of drink taken, <laughs> won't lie because the the green rooms are very well stocked in Germany. (laughs) But it was, yeah, it was wild. It was kind of like, you know, when you start drinking first in secondary school and you're out with all your friends and you just lose your shit. Like, it's kind of, it was kind of a bit like that. For a month? Yeah. I came home a zombie. (laughs) Um, But I think you kind of have to, I never really rebelled as a teenager. Did you? I thought I did at the time. Yeah. And I, I think like my parents recently told me that I was a nightmare in sixth year because they just could not get me to study. Right. But like that was not studying was kind of the worst thing I did. Yeah. If yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I think I was the same. You know, like I, <laughs> my mom tells a story. She like, she has these stories she tells over and over again. And one of them is about me coming home one day from school and I didn't have my geography book with me or something. And she's like, where's your geography book? And I was like, mom, you don't do like geography homework like you don't have to study geography and she was just baffled by my attitude to school um (laughs) but yeah I was the same I didn't really ever rebel or go too mad as a teenager so I think I just had this moment in my early 20s when I was taken away to another country with a bunch of people who were the same age as myself and we had a load of like booze around us and a load of free time and just just went mad. It was the, a very stereotypical touring experience. You know, when people ask you like, oh, mm. what, what happens on tour stays on tour? Everything else <laughs> since has been very chaste and very tame. Uh, tame. <laughs> like, I just had this one blowout and that, and that, that shut me down. And would you like to be doing that every year? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been going over to Germany consistently ever since um, on my own back. And now I have a booking agent over there, which is hugely like beneficial. And she mm. looks after the negotiations for fees and all that stuff, which is massive like it takes all the stress out of it really certainly not going that mad every year but I've loved going over to Germany and getting to know the audience over there and I suppose I'd love to just be kind of living over there at this stage like I'm always curious about people coming to Ireland as in any area in any area at all whether it's medicine or 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 music or, or journalism or whatever it is how they find the culture here because when you go to Germany, you have to book your gigs a year in advance and you have to have sent them your everything, your posters, everything, like ages in advance. They want to know everything. And they start selling tickets very, very early as well. Whereas in Ireland, everything is booked fairly short notice mm. and people don't really mind too much. Yeah, I'd like to go over there and kind of get stuck into the culture and actually figure it all out for myself a bit more. Because while it's lovely having someone look after it for you, I just, with this career, I look at it kind of like, 
wanting to own a restaurant or own a hotel you kind of have to have like wash the dishes and cook the meals and serve the tables and work the bar mm. before you can set up the restaurant you know yeah um, and I find with any career like this it's kind of the same you you, you kind of have to get stuck into things yourself before you hand the reins over to someone else so it's I've been a while now doing everything on my own and I've started to take on people to help me with stuff so that is like just a, a load off my shoulders which is great I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And is that in your plan to move to Germany? Like, would, like, are you thinking about doing that? It's somewhere on the horizon. It's not like a, a, a concrete plan at the moment. I don't know. I, I'm so, like, paranoid. I'm such a committophobe. Like, I'm really nervous about, say, like, manifesting things, putting things out to the universe because I don't want to disappoint myself, I think, mm, sometimes. Mm. It would be cool. It would be really cool to live in Germany for a while and see and see what it's like. But it's not something I have my my heart set on. I'd like to. I'm I'm the same with like Belfast. I want to move to Belfast (laughs) or Clare. Just be there and just get stuck into like the community and find out how it works. Because I have romantic ideals about places, Mm. I think. And then like. I would hate to go there then and be disappointed. Have it shattered. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like Belfast anymore. is having a bit of a moment. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been up much? No, but I mean, I've I've never, this sounds awful now, I've never in my life wanted to go up as much as I have this year. Mm. I'm like, I'd quite like to go to Belfast for a day. I've never said that before. Yeah. You know that like, when I was very young, we used to go up, my dad was a member of a society that built model trains, you know, the trains oh, cool. in in Marley Park that kids can kind of ride on. So yeah. he and his mates used to build them. So we used to go up for this kind of train day every summer and we'd go up to the equivalent of Marley Park up there and we'd ride on their little trains and yeah. I don't know, have a barbecue or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I remember when we first started going, it was still kind of, it was probably in the very early 90s mid 90s and there was definitely a lot of talk of like the border and you know just be Mm. careful and don't say anything about this or like I remember taxi driver once telling me probably when I was my early teens if anyone asks you if you support Celtic or Rangers just pretend you don't know (laughs) I was like okay like what but you know obviously a lot of that has changed I mean most of that's changed now yeah there's I mean mean? there's you know these things there's still factions everywhere Mm. you know these things are always going to exist in in dribs and drabs but I mean I went up to Belfast for the first time I'm going to say a year ago I think I found out recently it was only a year ago I feel like I've been going up for years now hmm. but um, I went up for a gig it was an unpaid gig it was this thing called Songbook my friend Nathan runs it and it, he gets this like house band and they're like world class like one of them plays with Foy Vance the other one plays with Sinead O'Connor like they're insane musicians and he brings a musician in and they play six of their own songs with this house band and there's no rehearsal 
So you just arrive up, the band have learned your songs. Okay. You don't know what style they're going to play them in. You know they're going to be roughly, you're going to be able to follow them, like you're going to be able to play your guitar with them, but you don't know what's going to happen. And it's super exciting and just an incredible gig. So I went up for the first time for that. Fell in love with the place straight away. Just the audience were so lovely. And I got invited back up to play at the Duncairn Art Centre then after that. And I've been up and down ever since. Been kind of flirting with the Duncairn about maybe doing a residency there and kind of working with some musicians. Because a lot of what I'm doing is collaborative with people up in Belfast anyway. So, mm. but I, I'm still like really shy about wanting to move there I think I want to just like spend a week there maybe in like the worst possible part of Belfast where there's nothing going on do you know something Mm. like that and just like really see what it's like and then I'll then I'll decide (laughs) yeah well you know kind of Belfast equivalent of like if you can't take me at my worst you don't deserve me at my best yeah yeah tell me a bit about the advocacy work you do and how that came about I think I just get angry about stuff like relatable yeah (laughs) I just I just see and and maybe it's a thing that I I'm very online. I just I just see an awful lot of shite being spouted by people and rather than just sitting back and seething, what I want to do is change things. And rather than and I, I see so many people on the internet in comment sections and on Twitter and on Facebook just getting angry about stuff and not doing anything about it. Mm. And I just figure like nothing whatsoever is stopping anyone from being the change like nothing so I just kind of like to do what I can to help people because I'm exceptionally privileged in nearly every way like you know so I except for being very very poor but not like poor poor like you know I could travel to Dublin today and I wasn't too concerned about getting a bus I could afford that but it was I don't know I just I just think if you have a platform and you have a voice and you have the capacity to help you should seeing a lot of stuff at the moment around and it happens nearly every year around the time of festival lineups coming out where people get angry because there aren't enough women on the bill or there aren't enough people of color or people of mixed ability and you get industry professionals quote unquote coming out with these big statements about how look women are buying the tickets and women don't want to see women on the stage so if you really want to make a difference talk to your women friends about why they're not buying tickets to go see you playing on and it's like that's that's total that's total bullshit like it is nonsense i do admire the kind of chutzpah it takes to just blame women yeah you know what i mean to be like well you're upset about women not being represented blame yourselves Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, society in a nut, a nut nutshell, that's yep. the word. I was like a nutcase. No, that's <laughs> not the one. <laughs> but yeah, so there's just that kind of stuff I'm seeing. And I just I just kind of want to tackle it. And, you know, even if it's not, I suppose I'm coming at a lot of this stuff knowing I don't have the answers. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm never, I have a podcast down in Limerick called The Limerick Lady. And we we bring on guests to talk about the work they're doing. Uh, even if their work isn't in gender studies or their work isn't necessarily a feminist area we just want to spotlight the women that are doing the work um whatever that work might be we've been kind of working on that for a while and the main goal of it is to have a discussion and to have a conversation and to try and try and untangle this very complicated and nuanced kind of societal situation happening where women are still being handed the burden, the household chores burden or the emotional burden or the burden of advocating for themselves in situations where they're not being represented. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at why, where in their career, in music specifically, because that's my first-hand experience, where comes the point that they have, they've been educated up to the age of, you know, 18, 19, 20 in music. They have pursued it up to, you know, they might be playing 
piano grades all the way up to the top. And then they stop when it comes to actually pursuing as a career where it seems like that doesn't happen with guys as much. Mm. And just exploring why that happens, what element of a performance career is is off-putting? Is it a lack of childcare supports? And if so, why is that burden falling to women? Is it the focus being placed on appearance and if so are men experiencing that as well you know Mm. and I suppose the biggest thing with the conversation is not making assumptions about why someone because we've we've had people on on our podcast who are mothers and have continued with their career in music and taken the kids with them that kind of thing Mm. it's not possible for everyone so just just exploring it and seeing what happens so I would love to know like where are the men who continued with their career with children and took the kids with them Mm. Yeah. But I, I was also struck when, when you mentioned earlier that it's only in the last four years that you started to take yourself seriously, right? Mm. And I wondered, I wonder how many male musicians in their 20s or 30s would have had very many years of not taking themselves seriously. Yeah. Like, like they might not have taken music seriously as in, oh, I was just playing around with my friends or whatever. Yeah. But I feel like as women, we are much more likely to think that is something I love. Therefore, it is a hobby. Therefore, it's not valuable. Therefore, it's just my little side thing mm. and it's not serious. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of something that's put on us For by sure. society more than is put on men. It's it's something I'm kind of struggling with a lot in the past few years because I, I really want to be self-sufficient. And the reality is in Ireland, it's it's quite hard. If I want to have kids at some point and if I want to be renting somewhere or putting a mortgage down somewhere or any of that kind of thing the reality is I don't think I could continue as a musician full-time at Mm. the moment if I wanted to be self-sufficient completely Mm. I have a partner who has a job that's much better paid than anything I will ever do so there's you know it's always at the back of my mind okay so is it a thing that I'll continue doing what I'm doing and I'll just rely on him for income and is that what I want? And you know, that's what I want. <laughs> I mean, Sounds okay. I feel like a lot of a lot of guys wouldn't have if the option was there that their wife was very wealthy, was the breadwinner. I don't know if the guy would have necessarily the same fear in them about relying on their wife, or maybe there's more fear. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out because as yeah. well, you know, I mean, the word that we all hate, the patriarchy, that one, it's bad for men and women. You know, oh, yeah. and it's yeah. it's it's what it's that kind of toxic kind of mindset that tells men you're not allowed to rely on a woman for income as well. So mm-hmm. that doesn't help men either. But I do feel that as someone who is a feminist, it's always a struggle for me to ha- kind of have in my mind: Am I going to be like? Would I be comfortable with having to rely on my partner for financial support down the line? Yeah. Like how much would I struggle with that? And is that what's stopping me from wanting to have kids someday or anything like that? You know? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think men would struggle with it. But for, like you said, different reasons. Yeah. Like I think there's definitely a pressure on men to not be emasculated by a wife out earning or out performing mm. is, you know, the whole performance pressure. Yeah. In a way that I think women don't have, like, I don't, I've never heard a woman say, it makes me feel bad that my husband is more successful than I am. Or yeah. I've never heard anyone even posit that as a theory. Yeah. Whereas we like we know that that's definitely true for certain men, or not even for certain men, but for our ideas of masculinity within sure, the professional yeah. space. Yeah. Where the pressures on women are totally different. Yeah. I totally get what you mean in kind of wanting to be self-sufficient, but it's just, it's really difficult right now for mm-hmm. any single person, and I don't mean single as in not in a relationship, but any individual person to be self-sufficient unless you're earning six figures. mm Nobody's getting a mortgage, like yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Nobody's looking down the barrel of like a comfortable five or 10 year plan mm. unless you're somebody who's working in 
a field where you're looking at making 100, 110, 120, then you're going, okay, like I might end up buying my house. But for the rest of us, yeah, you know, we're going to have to kind of get into bed with someone, whether yeah. it's a partner or a friend. Yeah, yeah, I'll get into bed with the dog. I'm here admiring uh, Rosemary's dog, Rosie. She's very, very cute. Oh, I'm, I must clarify. Important clarification. That's actually my producer, Liam's dog, Rosie. Oh, fair. Although I love the idea of me having a dog and calling her Rosie. Yeah. Rosemary and Rosie. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just say it. That would be a, a little bit narcissistic. <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been very interesting. Where can people get in touch with you? What's your website? Where's your music? What about social media? Tell me everything. Uh, I am everywhere. I'm omnipresent. Um, I'm on Twitter at E Langford Music. I'm on Facebook at Emma Langford Music. And people can email me Emma Langford Music at gmail.com or send me a letter or a smoke signal. It's entirely up to them and what they're into. And your website is Emma Langford. Emma Langford Music.com. Yeah, it's all everything except for I think my Twitter is the only one that's not consistent with them. It's just E Langford Music. Okay, and, Music. and your and your work is on Spotify. Yeah, I've got a new album coming out in September, but the new single, the next single, I don't know when this podcast is going out. No, neither do I. Okay, cool. Well, whenever you listen, it, the single will have or will be coming out on the 28th of February. So I won't, I'm going to say will have come out. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that's called Sewing Acorns and there'll be a new music video as well, which we recorded just the past couple of days gone. And, and that's uh, going to be out basically in two weeks. Yeah, very, very, very soon. Quick and a, a very cool dance remix coming out as well by Arvo Party. And yeah, it's it's a like, I feel weird, really weird saying it, but it's a really good song. Like, it's, it's class. It's very different to anything I've released before. It's kind of a bit more kind of alt pop kind of stuff. Um, there's some spoken word in there and it's what one might call where one's so inclined a bop. Yeah, very good. Well, well, I think your homework coming away from this podcast should be to get used to saying it's a very good song. Thank you. I will try that. You can, you try can absolutely say that. Thank you so much Thanks for, for taking me. the time. Thank you to you guys for listening. Thanks to Liam Garrity, my producer, whose own podcast, Meet Your Maker, you can listen to wherever you're listening to this or at meetyourmaker.ie. As I said, you can help support this podcast and the work that I'm doing by going to patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe with an A on my Mac subscribe from four dollars a month and you get a minimum of three original essays on patreon and lastly please rate and review on itunes it really helps other people to find the podcast and i'll catch you next time how to be sound is a member of the warren the home of great irish podcasts for more including my podcast the critter shed see the warren.ie even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.